Welcome to the Talking Ink Seren Poetry Festival episodes. It's about wanting to talk about quite a lonely experience, but also that that experience isn't potentially separate for everybody else's lonely experience too. I'm Lucy Smith. In February 2020, I had the wonderful opportunity to interview eight poets, both emerging and established voices, at the festival venue, the Temple of Peace in Cardiff. In this final episode, I meet Derren Rhys-Jones. Her collection Irato, published with Seren Books, was nominated for the T.S. Eliot Prize last year. You make a linguistic error, you make a mistake, you recorrect, and out of that you create a space. Derren chats to me about the importance of connecting, the joy to be found in making errors, and about how she constructs and weaves a poetry collection. Derin reads me one of my favourite poems from her collection. Walk. I made myself walk through the park. Leaves forced themselves from twiggy branches, blossom petals fast-forwarded into the breeze. It was as if someone had set off some kind of auto-suggestive time bomb and every fragment of the world I saw sent me elsewhere. Atoms had become pixels, or was it the other way around? Bud, leaf, branch, tree, earth. Everything seemed too early. Everything was disconnected. Everything seemed. One second, I was remembering being a child and sitting in the park under the rhododendron bushes with my grandmother mulch and wet of the earth and the cool leaves. In another hair split of the same second, I remembered knowing that the green leathery leaves and their great purple and red jelly eyes earned their name from the conflation of the Greek words for water and tree. Astride one of those seconds, I remember the merits of knowing Greek and Latin and the continuing disappointment of not knowing Welsh. I wanted to be light, light as air. In my bedroom was a blue and red rug. My friend had brought it back for me from Syria as a wedding present. Every morning I stepped down into its history and the irregular patterns of its birds and tree. I stepped out to thoughts of killings and bombs and two million people in exile. Someone reminded me. The president of Syria had trained as an eye doctor. My shrink had been stranded in Syria once when the volcano erupted. I was in North Africa. Neither of us made our appointments and neither of us was home to notice. And so it went on. The planet was melting. Out there in the solar system, astronauts or the memories of astronauts were floating like stars. I thought about space debris and my friend's husband, whose job it had been to program redundant satellites, so they spiralled off into deep space. Every day I walked to work 
Days shifted dark into light. Sometimes I would sit awake with my son, both of us sleepless. I'd rub his head and whisper my way through all the old bedtime stories. One night we just gave up and sat together and ate Cheerios and listened to the radio. As we sat that night, listening, the radio sent out its waves and all the waves and particles of the world shifted and time passed. And then one of us said, I don't know what the point is. It was a terrible thing, a parent saying that to a child or a child saying that to its parent. It was like someone had just divulged an enormous secret. There was no taking it back. I remembered in the world of that infinite second, sticking my head out of the car window as a child and the way it made me catch my breath. I stuck out my tongue, turning the air in my mouth to water. I remembered my son's look. It's a kind of scary beauty, Mom, he'd said one day, but I could no longer recall why. I was scared now and took a deep breath. It felt like a wounding. I said, but even in the darkness, you know you are alive. When I looked, my son had fallen asleep, the bowl of Cheerios still clenched in his small hand. Arato, I think of as one long poem. So all of the poems and prose pieces, whatever they are, they're all knotted up. And I've thought quite carefully about repetition. So what you get in each of the poems or pieces, whatever I'm calling them, you get these recurring words which sit slightly differently. So there are lots of words that recur, song, trees. There's lots about remembering and about not remembering things. And I think this, this um, worry, this trouble about what to call them, what I wanted to do was to think of them as sort of documentary. A lot of um, things that you write in poems take this creative leap, they become very metaphorical. And what I wanted to create was a very flattened voice and a lot, all really, of the prose pieces. Everything in them is true. And I wanted to find a way of just telling that story and telling it as plainly as I could. Because one of the things that I'm arguing with myself in, uh, about in this book is here is difficulty, here is a difficult world, what is the role of poetry in it? And I think I'm making an argument that convinces me that poetry is really important, but I'm also trying to navigate something which poets have had to navigate forever, of course, which is beauty and how you engage with something that is so beautiful and measured and made in a world which is not like that and what are my responsibilities as a poet as I do that. Okay, Was, so you say flattened voice, what do you mean by that? 
th there's not a lot of affect in there, so I might be telling a difficult story, but I'm trying not to be anything other than just plainly telling it. Okay. And that's why I think it sort of sits alongside something that feels quite connected to me with documentary. Uh, I'm really interested in autobiography and how people tell their stories um, and where responsibility lies when you own a story, how you connect that story with the wider world. Um, so there were a lot of things that I wanted to say and recover and I couldn't find a way of doing those in poems and I wanted the sort of machinery of narrative to do that for me. Um, and I am interested in narrative. I think all the time I'm trying to find a way of telling stories. Um, but this was, this was the new method. <laughs> do you think, in terms of your readers, does it? Do you think there's a better effect and it hits better if you tell it in this more sort of grounded voice rather than affectation and things like that? Or was um, it not thinking of the reader much? I think we all... We, we can think about that idea of finding your voice, finding your voice as a poet, and I think I know where I speak from when I write a poem. You can, you can sometimes find it hard to enter that poetry voice, and I don't mean poetry voices in something that's performed, but a sense that when you're writing that what, you've, what you're saying feels like you're kind of cohabiting in the poem with it, and my prose voice comes from a slightly different place okay. and I think I was interested in moving between those two voices like um, poems are so intense and they're so musical and uh, it's not that these are not musical they're very formed as well and again all the way through the book I'm thinking about the sonnet the sonnet is a little song that's what it means and these prose pieces are often structured in 14 sections. They'll have a couplet, they'll have a repetition or a rhyme. They're, okay. they're pushing the sonnet to its impossible place in prose. Um, I'm trying to push the sonnet until it breaks, is, is how I feel. I didn't sort of pick that up, I guess. It's, yeah, it's completely intentional and it's not just oh this came into prose you are crafting that as well absolutely absolutely Brilliant. it's uh it takes a lot of counting yeah <laughs> i bet yeah is there some when you start writing poems are there, are there some that lend more to well this is feeling like sentences this is feeling like prose i'll create craft it into this or does it just happen in editing i think the way this book was made i was writing more conventional lyrics and then what I kept finding you know I'm really fascinated by sonnets um, the other thing that I'm doing here is sonnets that don't quite accomplish themselves so they're 13 lines so they're again reaching towards something I talked about them as being disappointed that it's sort of um, Joyce talks about a, a bridge a pier being a disappointed bridge so mm. there's this reaching towards something and there's not a resolution. And in the sonnet sequence that I've got in there, I wanted to feel that I was moving towards something, but I couldn't quite get hold of it. And um, those 13 lines were very important in doing that. But sequences also allow you to repeat and move across ideas. 
And I think it was about me trying to find space in poetry for extended thought and the more extended prose-like pieces started to become part of that experiment, I suppose. Right. I, I like that. You could call them Pierce on it. So coin that, <laughs> that phrase. Oh, I was going to say, I think reading it, I think you've done a good job of sort of capturing these alienating feelings, these feelings of not quite belonging, which I think we all feel in certain ways, but it's sometimes hard to capture or hard to explain. Um, and it felt like you'd, do, you'd done something new there. And I find the way that you voice it is very comforting. I was wondering if this is a desired effect to make people feel less alone, or is it just writing from where you're at and see what the effect is? Yeah. Mm, I think that's, that, that's really lovely that you say that. I mean, I think uh, there's a degree of self-comforting going on, right. but, you know, you, you, you never write just for yourself. You, you, you start with finding that voice to put things into words, but you couldn't ever be a writer if it was solipsistic. What you're trying to do is to find a place in yourself that other people can also find too. It's another kind of bridge. And um, I think I was just very aware, looking back over my life, and I think it's a middle age thing as well, trying to make sense of it, but against this new frame and against this new political frame. And that moment of Brexit and Trump put a mark for a lot of people. And I think it also, other writers that I talked about, there was a sense of bewilderment and silencing. How can I, how can I respond to this? What do I do now? And I think that was a turning point, really, probably the turning point in, in putting the prose pieces in there. Okay. So yeah, responding to the world around us and hopefully finding some solidarity otherwise. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, th 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 there's a lot in here about that urge to connect. So one of the things that I threaded through with this was this idea of Lego. You know, if you're a parent, you're always standing on bits of Lego. <laughs> there's, there's always bits of plastic around your house and, you know, you're scooping it up and you're trying to build things. And th th that is a great metaphor it's maybe also quite a painful metaphor about what you do with a fragment and how you connect it with something else. And we have to make connections, we have to remember that we're humans and that we need each other, you know. It's about wanting to talk about quite a lonely experience, but also that that experience isn't potentially separate for everybody else's lonely experience too. Mm. And I'm trying also to be quite affirmative in what I'm doing because I think you can't sit there and wail. Mm. You, know, you know, I mean, and part of that is in here too, the sirens. What's the difference, I put in one of the other pieces, what's the difference between a sigh and a song? How do you make something out of that experience that could be beautiful, could be useful? Um, I, I, I've got a good friend who says to me, you know, Darren, don't agonise, organise, and it's a very good slogan. <laughs> so when I was growing up, yes, I learned Greek, I learned Latin, but I didn't learn Welsh and I wasn't brought up in Wales. And there's that sense of, you know, I have access to that classical education through the prism of my childhood 
And that was very, very important to me. It's always refracted through those personal experiences when you read those Greek myths, when you think about ancient cultures, classical cultures. That is something also that frames this book because it is a funny thing to be 11 and reading the Odyssey or to be 13 and reading the Aeneid. And that was part of what my childhood did. Those books, those stories were very, very important. And I was looking to the Aeneid in framing this book as well, very gently, very subtly. It's there in the epigraph. When you're trying to rebuild a nation, when you're trying to think about something that's generative and inclusive, how do you do that? And what Virgil does is he calls on Arato, and people have thought about this. Why would you call on the god of love and eroticism and lyric in order to think about rebuilding nation, but I think he's absolutely right, because it's about the personal and the intimate. You've got a few quotes at the start of your book. Oh yeah, it was the John Cage one. I loved that one too, so we make our lives by what we love. Those three epigraphs, I think, take you through the themes of the book. So, that idea of making and loving. Um, but the Elizabeth Bishop quote that's there too, I don't know if you know that Elizabeth Bishop poem, The Man Moth. I don't actually know. So uh, she wrote it uh, because she saw a typo in the newspaper and it was meant to read mammoth. And she invented this creature, the man moth. And so there's this beautiful poem about this strange, surreal creature crawling around a room that she's invented through a typographical error. And there are lots of errors in the book. And erato sounds like eratum. And there's lots of slips, things not quite right. And what does erato mean? So erato is the um, muse of um, love and lyric. And eratum is, is a mistake. So a a mistake. Well, it's a oh, correction. So in a book, you would put a little slip at the end, you know, if you'd made a mistake and you'd printed something, and it would just say errata, and you'd list all the mistakes and, and errors. So I've got a poem called that, which is also a version of another poem in the book. I spent a lot of time thinking about the structure of this book, so something will sit there and then it will be corrected. And I'm writing a new book now, which takes all of these things and then retranslates and transposes them into something else. So I think of this book as a book that is about things falling down. So there's two things that fall down in the book, the tree that has to be taken down and the lighthouse that's on the edge of the cliff that's falling down. And those two great pillars, icons, get taken down in the book or they're falling down. And in the new book, I'm trying to think about how you create a space, how you make something, and, and that's to do with making a world, making a life. That is about the rebuilding and this, it's about the collapse and in a way. It, exactly, and about imagining. Um, it was funny, Ian Macmillan said something, he said, everything in this book is provincial. And I saw that he'd made a mistake, and he was speaking in public, and he stopped himself and I could see this little look of horror in his face because he knew he hadn't meant to say that. What he'd meant to say, I think, was everything in this book is provisional. But what I loved was the fact that that's exactly what is happening in this book. You make a linguistic error, you make a mistake, you recorrect, and out of that you create a space.
um, yeah. which is what metaphor does. You know, you have one thing and then you have another thing and you have the journey between those things. And I like that space between. In making Arato, did it, like all, all this carefully thought out structure and the themes, was it there from the beginning? Did it turn out how you originally intended it to? With any book, you're constructing an argument or a narrative. Book of poems, you have a beginning, middle and end. You decide which poem goes at the start, which poem goes at the end. And in a way, I just pushed quite hard on that process. And so, yes, there were poems and I didn't know what to do with them. They weren't making sense to me. I do remember very memorably having flu on January and writing one of the prose pieces and thinking, okay, now I have a structure. I think there's 10 of them. And I think having that sort of order, once you start putting the structures in place, it's like putting stakes in the ground of a building. You start discovering what the shape is. And every time you put something new in, it allows you to look forward and look back at the other things. So there's a lot of weaving and a lot of interspersing going on in that final stage. And even really late, I remember, I found a file that I sent to Amy quite late in the process saying, yeah, here it is. And n no, it wasn't. There was quite a lot more, actually, that needed to be done from that point when you accept the manuscript. And then it's about a year before you're really having to decide that it's finished. And I've really relished that time, actually, not to hurry um, and to be patient with it. Yeah, there's a, there's a certain amount of shifting going on and the stakes are there, but you've got to move things about and see where they fit. Absolutely, yeah. and it's, it's thinking time, but it's also processing time to, what, what is it I'm doing? <laughs> you know, what do I want it to be? But no, I didn't start off with a grand plan. It's, it's, it's arrived organically, like a poem does often, but then there is a sense that, OK, now, now I see what needs to be put in place. There's the windows, there's the door, there's the roof. <laughs> Lovely, yeah. And yeah, I think it's come together so wonderfully. I really enjoyed reading and I'm going to go back into it now I understand more as well. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. If you'd like to get your hands on a copy of Arato, head to the Seren Books website. I hope you've enjoyed this episode from the Seren Poetry Festival. The music was composed by Martin White. I'd like to say a big thank you to Seren for having me over the festival weekend. If you'd like to find out more about what went on during the festival, you can visit cardiffpoetryfestival.com. <laughs>